Good morning and happy Tuesday to you. It's 7 a.m. and you're listening to Covenant Network's Roadmap to Heaven. I'm Adam Wright. Happy to be with you this morning. And uh, I have to say it's good to be in the month of August. Let's begin our day as we always do in prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it's very good to be with you this morning on this fine Tuesday. I'm happy to say, very happy to say that Mike Roberts is back from vacation. You don't have to put up with me doing the weather anymore. You actually get a real meteorologist doing a real forecast and not just some guy trying to read notes about what's going on out there with the weather. So that's the good news today. we got lots of good news for you today. Uh, we're going to be talking with Doug Berry today about the seventh commandment. And uh, as we wrap up this week, our series on the Ten Commandments. And then wait till you find out what Doug Berry's got in store for us next week. I think you're going to love it. Absolutely, you're going to love it. And then later in the show, we're going to be talking with Father Jeffrey Kirby by phone about the Sacrament of Confession and uh, the grace that's conferred. And recently, we had the opportunity to speak with Father Kirby about freedom and license. I can't remember if that was last week or the, the week before, but uh, we were speaking with him about freedom and license, and this is going to be somewhat of a follow-up to that. And then finally, uh, on the show this morning, we're going to be speaking with a gentleman I've known for some time, a, a guy named Rick Turcott, really great all-around guy. And recently, he had posted something on his social media that caught my attention, that he was driving a support vehicle for his son, who was in this incredible race across the state of Missouri. Uh, I'm going to let him tell you about that. There's, I, I don't need to tell you everything about it right now, but we're going to talk about the uh, links a father goes to for his son and how that's all born out of love, and that's going to be after the uh, after the weather this morning. Well, not right after the weather, a little bit after the weather this morning. We also have a catechiz for you this morning and uh, even more. So there you have it. You know, yesterday I mentioned that Beth and I were celebrating our 13th wedding anniversary. It's kind of an odd one this year and that she worked yesterday. Normally she takes the day off, but We've got plans this Friday night. We're going to a concert together. We're going out to dinner together. And to make that work, it was either take off Monday and Friday, but then work three in a row, which she didn't want to do. And I said, hey, you know what? It's okay to work on our anniversary. I've done it before. Um, Just do it. We'll celebrate another day. And there's kind of a comfort in that, isn't that? You know, that we've reached that, that length of time that it's we know we love each other. And as much as we want to celebrate on the day, we're okay with saying, you know what, it'll be all right. We can celebrate later in the week. We do that with birthdays now, too. You know, I'll never forget one of our daughters. Her birthday was on a Friday, and all weekend long we tried to celebrate. She said, no. Don't you want to celebrate your birthday? My birthday was yesterday. My birthday was two days ago. I said, okay, well, you know, here's the thing. We can still celebrate it here in the weekend. Uh, But, you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing in life. One of the things yesterday, though, that really hit home is that big question that we're always asking you. Uh, how, do you pray this prayer? Do you pray this prayer? Lord, how are you calling me to live my vocation today? How are you calling me to live my vocation of 
and then whatever your vocation is, put that in there. And yesterday was a great reminder that, you know, I could have gone out and I could have gotten a dozen roses, two dozen roses, three dozen roses, dare I say, um, and had them waiting for when she came home. Been nice. She would have said thank you for the roses. Probably would have followed it up with how much did you spend on these. I could have gone out and bought her the most lavish present, which I do have a present for, but I'm not giving it to her until Friday. And I'm not going to tell you what it is because she might be listening right now. But the simple thing of, Lord, how are you calling me to live my vocation today? The greatest act of love I could give my wife yesterday that she would appreciate would be that when she got home from work, the dining room table would be cleaned off and the dishes would be in the dishwasher. Whether it's running or not, because she might add something to it later and, and we always run it right as we go to bed. But those two simple things, you know, sometimes I think we get so focused on the extraordinary acts of love, which is a good thing. We're going to be talking about an extraordinary act of love today. But let's not forget the average everyday things. Lord, I want to do something grand for you. Okay, you want to do something grand? Instead of doing one grand thing one time, do one simple thing every day. Pray. Pray. Honor my mother. Pray the rosary every day. Honor me. Ask for mercy through my name. Pray the chaplet of divine mercy every day. Spend time with me in silent prayer, in conversation with me every day. Right? Strive to stay in that state of grace. Do the examination of conscience every day. Little things, little things with great love every day are an extraordinary thing we can do in life. We've got a lot of uh, roadmap to having to get to this morning, so before we have our catequiz, let's go now to Mike Roberts. Today is the feast day of St. Peter Julian Emyard. Born in the French Alps in 1811, he had a great devotion to the Blessed Mother from the time he was a young boy, a devotion that would last the rest of his life. Before receiving his first communion, he went to the shrine of Our Lady of Notre Dame de Laos, where the Blessed Mother had appeared a century earlier asking for sinners to do penance and for Eucharistic adoration. He would learn of the apparitions of Our Lady of La Salette in which the Blessed Mother appeared to two young children with her face in her hands crying because of the disrespect people had for the Lord's name and for the Sabbath. In 1828, against his father's wishes, Peter entered the Oblates of Mary Immaculate, but because of health problems, he had to withdraw. When he tried a second time in 1834, Peter was at last ordained. But he was not content as a parish priest, and six years later joined the Society of Mary. This allowed him to spread devotion to the Eucharist and the Blessed Mother among lay people, and one of the members of that society was St. John Vianney. He was determined to start a Marianist community dedicated to Eucharistic adoration, but his superiors did not see that as part of their journey. So Peter and a diocesan priest, Father Raymond de Cures, left the Society of Mary. After many attempts, they were at last given permission to start the Blessed Sacrament for Men and the Servants of the Blessed Sacrament for Women. Their mission, to love, to worship, and to announce the risen Christ to the world, present and revealed in the Eucharist. Peter once said, you take communion to become holy, not because you already are. St. Peter Julian M. Yard, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. 
Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. A little excited there for the catechist music, as always. I apologize for that. Uh, today's catechist question is about works. It's about acts. And we were talking before going to the weather about doing simple things every day with great love. Well, let's talk about seven things, and some of them are very simple. Can you name, or maybe I should say, how many of the seven corporal works of mercy can you name? Can you name all seven? How many can you name? I'll give you a moment here. There are seven of them, the corporal works of mercy. All right, here's the answer. See how many you got. Number one, feeding the hungry. Number two, giving drink to the thirsty. Number three, sheltering the homeless. Number four, clothing the naked. Number five, visiting the sick. Number six, visiting the imprisoned. And number seven, burying the dead. How many of those did you get? Huh? How many? You know, here's the thing. We, uh, we often think about these being maybe very grand, grand, grand things, you know. Well, how am I going to visit the imprisoned? Well, you know, maybe you do sign up to, uh, to work in prison ministry. We also uh, should accept alms to the poor and that giving alms to the poor. Uh, you know, how are you going to shelter the homeless? How are you going to clothe the naked? Well, some of these things might just be a matter of participating in volunteering. You know, maybe you volunteer with the local homeless shelter. Um, I know that my in-laws, they participate in a program through their parish that every month they put out this casserole recipe and, and they go to the grocery store and they buy the ingredients for the casserole and they make the casserole and they freeze it and then they drop it off at the rectory and they put it in a freezer there and they drive it down to the shelter and then they heat them up and that's how they, they feed the hungry, right? takes a little bit of extra time to make one meal on the part of my mother-in-law. And then, uh, you know, a lot of people in the parish do that, and that's how they feed the hungry. And actually, they feed quite a few people doing that. You know, maybe taking that time that you've been putting off to clean out your closet and uh, donate those things to the local thrift shop. You know, not only do they sell those, but then when there are those that need clothes, when there are the poor that need clothes, they, they have clothes to give the poor. So... Uh, maybe it's a matter of just taking the time to do what you said you were going to do. I need to go through my clothes. I need to get rid of these. Don't fit me. I haven't worn this in ages. It's still in really good condition. It'd be a shame to throw it away. Well, there's someone that could use that. There's someone that could use that. And uh, plus, you're going to be glad you cleaned up your house. So find a work of mercy to do. You know, maybe it will be something extraordinary. Maybe it will be something simple, but find a work of mercy to do. We're going to take a very quick break here. When we come back, we'll be talking with Rick Turcott about something extraordinary that he did for his son. Are you enjoying this episode of Roadmap to Heaven? Are you saying to yourself, I wish I could listen to this again? Well, good news, you can. Just go to your favorite podcast app and search Roadmap to Heaven by Covenant Network to find this episode and more. And for even more great Catholic content, be sure to visit www.ourcatholicradio.org. That's O-U-R-CatholicRadio.org and click on the Programs tab for some great shows. And now back to Roadmap to Heaven. 
We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. You know, every now and then I like to think that I could do something amazing, and then I read a story about somebody doing something amazing, and it just so happens that I read one that actually involved people I knew. There was a race about a month back called the MR340, and it's one of those things like the 5Ks that I do. You're not necessarily racing to be in first place. You might be, but more so you're racing against yourself and your previous record and against the clock. For those of you unfamiliar with it, this is a race on the Missouri River from just outside of Kansas City to just outside of St. Louis, St. Charles, Missouri. You have 85 hours to complete the race, and if you're not on pace with the checkpoints along the way to make that 85-hour cutoff, they pull you out of the race. Our next guest is a gentleman who didn't make the race per se. He drove the support vehicle for his son, Eric, and uh, Rick Turcott's with us here in the studio. Rick, it's so good to have you with us today. Thank you much, Adam. So I guess, you know, I I gave a little overview of what the MR340 is. And so it's easy to think your son Eric is in the water. This time he was in a kayak, correct? Correct. It's uh, an outrigger canoe. Okay. So he's in the water making his way, and and we'll talk a little bit about, about the stops along the way as we go. You are not in the water. You made the same journey across the state of Missouri in what? I was traveling in a minivan loaded with supplies, food and hydration stuff for Eric, plus a space to make a bed for his two one-hour naps that he planned to take during the 340-mile race. All right. So from the time he started to the time he finished, I know his goal was to make this in 60 hours. Correct. That's two days and 12 hours. Right. Right there. Did he make that goal of 60 hours? He not only made it, he broke it by about three hours and 20 minutes. So he finished the race in 56 hours and 38 minutes. Wow. All right. So he stops to sleep one hour? One hour. At a time at two different points along the way. Right. I would meet him at designated checkpoints, although the planned checkpoints and then the actual checkpoints depended on how well he was feeling. And I'd get a text... He'd say, Dad, I'm feeling good. I can make it to the next point. Can you meet me at Miami, Missouri instead of this other place? So I'd drive the van and meet him there and set the bed up, and he'd sleep for an hour under a timer. (laughs) Wow, that's incredible. We've certainly crossed into the realm of things I couldn't even dream of doing. (laughs) But why a support vehicle, you may be saying? Well, think about it. A canoe, a kayak on the Missouri River for 60 hours. Are you going to be able to bring everything you need? No. So, Rick, I want to ask you a little bit about your experience, and then we're going to switch this over to the spiritual for everybody saying, what the heck does a river race have to do with Roadmap to Heaven? (laughs) Your job is to be there for him. Whenever he comes out of the water, you're going to be there with anything he could possibly need. Correct. I had to anticipate his needs and basically be a servant to him in achieving his goal. Now, to give us the very quick view, I imagine... The goal was 60, but he did, he did it less than 60. And he's only sleeping for an hour twice along the way. Did you get any sleep on this route? I got one hour and 20 minutes the whole time we were racing. All right, because you always had to be there waiting yep. at the next I did checkpoint. not want to fail him. I wanted to make sure I was at each of the stops and ready for him when he arrived. Okay, so let's ask this question then. How on earth did you end up driving this support vehicle? Is this something that Eric came to you and said, Dad, I have a really, really big favor to ask? No, I was a volunteer, actually. He told me about his participation for the first time the previous year. 
and then at a family gathering, he was just talking about the race and mentioned that his support guy from his first year had sold his boats and moved out of the area. And I asked him, well, what are you going to do for a support team for this year? He said, well, I'm not sure yet. And I said, would you consider allowing me to do it? Because I immediately glommed on to the opportunity to do something with my son, an intense activity. It was just him and me working together. All right. Now, we often talk on the show about the demands of love and how uh, love means sacrifice. And sometimes, as a parent, I've learned that sacrifice is you're not planning to make it, whether it's that trip to the emergency room for something or those sleepless nights when they're a baby and you have to get up with them. You're going to be making sacrifices along the way. But this is very intentional. This is you saying, I want to go and do something incredibly difficult to be there for my son. How did that impact your relationship? Because I, I would imagine you got an hour and 20 minutes sleep over 60 hours, that this was a very trying and, and difficult experience for you. How did that impact your relationship? I think it had a very deep impact. We had several instances along the way where we're both obviously tired, him from his paddling and me from driving and calculating where he's going to be at what point. But we maintained a spirit of love and he knew that i was in it for him to support him and in the back of my mind i was applying a principle i'd heard years ago from a nun who was a retreat director who said to the question how do you evangelize your children or your friends and family she said you evangelize them primarily with how you love them and if you love them like Jesus loves them then they're going to see the Christ in you and it has an impact and so that was in my mind at every moment as I'm trying to help Eric successfully negotiate the race and he understood that it came across yeah and he understood it and at the end of the race the things that he said in feedback to me told me that from a spirit-to-spirit, heart-to-heart standpoint, we had connected in a way we may never have had before that. Yeah, this is not something that can happen over conversations at Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving dinner or even those visits to one another at the houses or on vacation. One of the things you just said, loving like Jesus loved, you told me when we were prepping for this interview that you actually had a very real moment of that. You know, when we talk about what would Jesus do in the washing of the feet, and I wonder (laughs) if you could share that story with our listeners. Eric pulled into one of the boat ramps, and this one was particularly muddy up on the concrete ramp. So as we got his boat out of the water and I helped him regain his footing because they're always shaky when they come out of the water after hours on the water, we led him up to the back of the van and this is the place he was going to sleep. Well, I'm working quickly to get him into the bed, but his feet are just all muddy. He says, oh, Dad, I'm a mess. And I said, well, hang on a second. And I went and grabbed one of the jugs of water that we had. And symbolically, as he's sitting on, in the back of the minivan with his legs projecting out, I'm washing his feet full of Missouri River mud with my hands, and the symbolism wasn't lost on either of us. And he'd had a similar experience going through a confirmation retreat years before, and I said, well, here we are. We have the washing of the feet. And that was all that needed to be said, and we both smiled at each other deep eye contact, and we both got it, what that was symbolic of, and the act of Christ and washing the feet of his disciples. So because we're on Roadmap to Heaven, although today I guess it's River 
river map to heaven, river route to heaven, right. you could say. We do want to talk a little bit about the spiritual component of this. Now, you shared with me that you know your son was raised Catholic, but at some point in his life, he made the decision to leave the Catholic Church. Correct. Going back to what you just shared from that sister that, you know, well, how do I evangelize my son? And a big part of that is being there. So tell us about that that component of this, because I know you mentioned before we came on air that that was another thing that really unfolded in a unique way in this opportunity. Right. As a dad who's always been concerned about raising his family with the goal of attaining heaven through our you know faith in Jesus, that is always forefront in my mind with my kids and now my seven grandkids. I'm always looking for ways to relate with my children in a heart-to-heart manner, to not just intellectualize, but really develop the deep relational aspect where we connect at a real human level, but heart-to-heart about Jesus in our lives and how faith shapes the things that we do and how we act and with other people and treat them. And so I'm always looking for ways to try to bring the the spirit or the behavior of um, a disciple of Jesus into what I do with my kids and my grandkids and my friends and the people around me. So before he even puts into the water outside of Kansas City, a big part of this was the prep and actually mapping out where are the checkpoints, where are the stops, where are the general stores or grocery stores or supply stores of whatever you may need along the way. And this led to 18 hours together in the van driving across the state (laughs) of Missouri? we did a reconnaissance run, so to speak, several days before the race to start near Kansas City and crisscross the Missouri River all the way to St. Charles to look at all the boat ramps and the landing points, the checkpoints that he might be pulling into. You know, he developed a plan, which is a notion. If it's going well, you know, I'll stop at these points. But if it's going not so well, I'll have some alternates. So we did that run, and we spent the entire day together. And during the course of it, there was a lot more discussed than just the MR340 race. He ended up with a number of questions about the Catholic Church these days and uh, things that are happening within our faith on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, things in the news, etc. So we had a chance to talk about a lot more than just paddling across the state of Missouri. You could tell that there was a connection. There was question and then listening. And I was doing my best as a layperson to communicate with my son and help him solidify his view or his perception of the Catholic Church, the church he was raised in. Before we get to our last two questions here, I'd like to ask you to share this. We recently spoke with some seminarians from St. Louis who made a 30-day walking pilgrimage, the Camino de Santiago, and they talked about how some of the pilgrims, when they get to kilometer marker zero in the square right outside of the church, they just collapse on the ground. I made it. I'm finished. I can rest now. That was not the case when Eric pulled out of the water in St. Charles for you. No. He was under a few stressors, not only the stress of the race and him pulling very hard, but he had found out the morning of the last day of the race that his daughter was in the emergency room, and they later determined uh, with an appendicitis, rather, and was going into emergency surgery. So as a very—he's a great dad, fantastic dad. He was concerned about getting back for his daughter, so he's motivated by the race and all of that. And he gets back, but it was 
about 100 degrees in St. Charles. And about an hour after landing, he fell ill um, with uh, heat exhaustion and a blood problem that results from hyper exercise, like extreme, you know, ultra marathoners, et cetera. And I ended up having to take him to the emergency room, <laughs> to the same emergency room his daughter had gone to earlier that morning for her appendicitis uh, surgery. Eric spent the night in the hospital, same hospital as his daughter, but I got my family taken care of. Everybody was fine after their surgery and treatments, but it didn't end with just this celebratory hoop and holler around the finish line. Eric basically just collapsed on the ground and, and lay down there, and it, you could tell he was more than spent. Yeah, so you had to go, as the, the gospel says about our Lord, a little bit further. A little bit further. So, Rick, this is what I want to end with here. I mean, this is this makes for a great story, and I, I've loved the opportunity to talk with you about it. And, and I'm a water guy. I love the prospect of being out on the water. Maybe not 60 hours trying to get across the state of Missouri, but, you know, six days, I'll take that. Um, this demanded an incredible amount of sacrifice from you. Would you have been able to do this if it weren't for the fact that, one, you're Eric's father, and two, and probably more importantly, you have faith in God that he's going to give you the gifts you need to be able to do this? No. The interest in the race came through my son when he shared this thing that he's become very fond of doing in a short period of time. This particular thing is not something I would have pursued, but as soon as I found out that he needed a support team for this year, I knew that it would be a grueling thing, but it was for me an opportunity to demonstrate just how far love will go, to sacrifice for the people that you know, God has put in your lives, and in particular, your family, that there are no bounds. Since Jesus put, didn't put bounds on his love for us, there are no bounds for us as, as dads or moms in how far we will go to show love and support for our children and try to be a presence of Christ for them. That leads into the final question I want to ask you, because as a man of faith, I can't imagine that you just say, all right, my son's on the river now, and uh, it's going to be a grueling four days, but you know what? We got this on our own. I would imagine that you spent a great amount of time in prayer over these 60 hours. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit about that. What, where was your heart at? Where was your soul at as you were praying during these days? Well, my wife has a particular devotion to the divine mercy aspect of our faith, so prayer is definitely a daily part of life in our household. For me, I'm a little bit less of a formal prayer. I speak with the Lord in the same way, in a way like I'm speaking with you today. And I had a number of prayers focused on not just Eric's safety and well-being for the race, but also that I would continue to have the energy to be a positive presence throughout the entire thing, that I wouldn't get hangry or, you know, any of those things that I would try to reflect a Christ-centered spirit to Eric and showing my love and support for him at every moment of the time. And I was so focused I could get through those, including the ER stop. It was more than three days with very little sleep. I, I never felt anything negative about it. I felt like the Holy Spirit was there with me the whole way, and I could just focus on serving Eric and being there to support and love him. Now, I know you're a humble guy, so you would say that your sacrifices and everything you did over the course of this race pale in comparison to those sacrifices 
our Lord made for us on the way of the cross. And not to equate the two, but what did that teach you about his sacrifices? When you put yourself through something that's grueling, but really doesn't even begin to compare to what he went through, what did that teach you about the sacrifices our Lord made for you? It gives me a greater appreciation at the human level, the enormous difficulty and challenge that everything that Jesus endured for us, that he went through for us. You know, like you said, what I did for Eric and losing sleep for a few days and working my tail off at all hours of the day and night was hard, but it's not even in the same league as what Jesus did. And he actually gave his life. I gave up sleep. (laughs) But Jesus gave us, you know, his life. So it makes you appreciate when you have to reach deep yourself that Jesus' sacrifice was even so much greater and that it makes you so grateful for what he was willing to do in obedience to the Father for all of us. Well, Rick, I want to thank you for being with us on uh, Roadmap to Heaven via the river this morning. (laughs) I think the lesson for me and, and what I love about your story, what's so inspiring is you know, as a dad, I'm getting to that point where things are starting to ease up, that it's it's getting a little bit easier to parent the kids because they're out of the toddler phase. They're not into the teenager phase yet. This is probably the good times for a while. But one day there is going to be a time when it's not going to be filled with chances to have moments like this. And I hope that I can take the inspiration from what you've done to go out and do incredible things and big things to lay down my life for my kids. It's certainly a great example. So I want to thank you, Rick Turcott, for sharing that with us here on Roadmap to Heaven. We are going to take a break, so don't sail away or paddle away or anything like that. There's more Roadmap to Heaven after this. Hello, podcast listeners. This is Adam Wright for Covenant Network. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to hit like and subscribe. And while you're at it, share it with your friends. And now back to the Roadmap to Heaven podcast. We're back and we're talking with Doug Berry about the Ten Commandments. It's day seven of this, which means we're on the Seventh Commandment. And I know real quick, a lot of people are saying, I wish I would have had this idea because I'd steal this idea to talk with Doug Berry about the Ten Commandments. Well, guess what? We're going to make this available to you. You don't even have to steal it because if you did steal it, you'd be breaking number seven, thou shall not steal. That's exactly right. That's I was thinking the same thing. What are you thinking? Yeah, you know, thou shalt not steal. This is one of those commandments you think about, well, how serious is it? Is it wrong if I steal a piece of gum? Is it wrong if I steal someone's car? There is a difference in the gravity of the sin based on the person and the item. That is true. You steal $10 from someone who only has $10, you could be wrecking their life, obviously. You stole $10 from someone who's got a million dollars, not as grave. However, the stealing is still the stealing. So you don't want to just start thinking, well, it's not that big a deal because they got plenty. That's not the point here. The Lord is basically saying to us, if it's not yours, you you can't just go take it freely. You have to ask. You have to reach out. Now, is the culpability of the sin lessened depending upon the matter? It can be. So you've got a father. Family is starving. He steals a piece of bread in order to feed his family. Does that lessen the culpability? It does lessen it. Now, it would be better for him to try to work out a way and negotiate to get the bread in a way that isn't stealing. No question about it. But God understands when it comes to the circumstances. Now, St. Augustine would say in his book, Confessions, that he would steal sometimes just for the sake of stealing. He didn't even care what he was stealing sometimes. And people who do that, just like people who want to watch the world burn right now, and we see there are people who just want to do it for the sake of violence. They're just looking for those moments. There are people who steal for the same reasons. So we want to look at that aspect a little bit as well. Stealing is still wrong. 
don't misunderstand me. However, understand that if it doesn't belong to us, we shouldn't be taking it without talking to the person first. That is the key we're getting at here. God is very clear about the importance of possession of your property. You have a right to own things. So when, I don't know, someone comes along and says, hey, you know what, we're just going to start taking stuff from you. There is an injustice to some of these things if it is not appropriate. So we have to understand that God does give us permission to have property, to own possessions. We have a right to those possessions and that property. We don't have a right to take what we want simply because we want it and we think someone else has enough or too much or they don't need it. I would also encourage when it comes to just being around the house, raising our children to teach that basic principle that what you have learned to be at peace with, work hard, be inspired, work hard, don't be jealous. That's another commandment. We'll get to that. But work hard for what you have and be content with what God blesses you with. That's a big reason, you know, Adam, why people steal sometimes is they just want more. They don't want to have to work for it. They don't like that someone else has more than them. And they just think, you know what, I deserve that. And because these lies that come at us in the world, from the world of flesh and the devil that tell us, oh, you deserve this, you deserve that, let's be careful about that attitude. All right, God says, you know, you should be able to eat and breathe and have freedom and this and that, but you don't necessarily deserve to have a mansion or a really nice car. It doesn't necessarily something we deserve. Work for it. If you're inspired, sure, but let's change the attitude because there's an attitude behind why people steal. And sometimes it's that I deserve this because I want this. You have too much. I don't like that you have that. So let's look at why we're doing it, what the motivation is, and where that's kind of residing, where the origin comes from in our hearts as to why we even want to take something that isn't ours. And let's learn to be content and at peace with what God blesses us with. Because in the end, every single thing that you have, this camera, this computer, this microphone, everything ends up in the landfill. It all ends up gone. The only thing left is our soul before God. That's what we need to focus on. You know, Doug, it's really interesting to me as we talk about these commandments and not only that they're a matter of justice, but then the the good that they do for us. And how many times I've gotten upset with my kids because they take something without asking. And I say to them, you know, I'm not upset that you took this out of the fridge to have a snack because you need to eat. I'm upset that you didn't ask first. And if you would have asked, I would have told you, yeah, by all means, that's okay. And then I look at my life. And how many times am I tempted to take something that's not mine because I'm afraid to ask because the answer might be no? What a discredit that is to the person I would ask because a lot of the people I know are very generous. And if you just are straightforward with them, I'm not saying they're going to say yes every time, but don't take away the opportunity for them to be generous. That's another whole component of this. Exactly. That's a really, really good point, too. And let's be careful along these lines with that phrase that it's always better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Oh. Because that, that's one of those statements that people use to get away with exactly what you just described. You know, I'm afraid to, that someone's going to say no, so I'm just going to do it anyway and deal with the consequences later. That's not the best way to approach these things at all. Yeah. Friends, the only thing we deserve is justice, and yet God in his abundance offers us mercy if we choose to be repentant when we break these commandments. So don't break number seven. Don't steal, because, you know, you can't really steal heaven. You have to follow the commandments and live a holy life and be repentant when you do break them to get there. Doug Barry will talk more about this tomorrow. Until then, it's been great to be with you today. Thanks, Adam. I look forward to tomorrow. Are you enjoying this podcast? 
Well, if you are, did you know that Covenant Network offers great programming 24 hours a day on 43 stations in five states, plus streaming online? You can find our schedule, your local station, or listen online at www.ourcatholicradio.org. That's O-U-R catholicradio.org. Visit us today. And now back to this podcast. Friends, we're back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. And last week we were speaking with Father Jeffrey Kirby about the difference between freedom and license and how license is just that ability to do whatever we want for the, you know, I think of that quote from the movie Jurassic Park. You were so preoccupied with whether or not you could do something, you didn't stop to think whether or not you should do something. And that stopping to think about whether or not you should, that's where the freedom lies. The freedom to say, no, that's bad. That's going to enslave me to sin. So I am not going to do that. Whereas license says, hey, if we can do it, let's do it. Today, we're going to talk about something that comes after that. We, we concluded our discussion talking about the great sacrament of reconciliation, where ultimately when we're set free of sin, it is Christ who sets us free. Uh, But we have to partner with him. We have to give our assent. We have to say yes to that. And to take us a little bit deeper into this journey, we're happy to have Father Kirby with us again this week. And Father, it's so good to be with you this morning. Um, I'd like to start here. I once heard it said that when we go into the confessional, to receive this great sacrament of mercy. We are not just the defendant who stands accused of the sins we bring in with us, but we are also called to be the prosecuting attorney to say, these are the sins that the penitent, ourselves, have committed since the last time we went to confession. And that there's a great reason for that, because if we offer all of our sins to God, he has a great opportunity then to do so much more with his mercy and grace. So um, why is that so important when we go in, not to be timid, not to be shy and say, well, Father, I didn't want to tell you that I committed this sin, but to just go in there and say, here are my sins, mortal in number and kind, and then venial sins. Yes, yes, Adam, I'm very grateful for this opportunity for us to pick up last week's conversation. And and I'll just say that, you know, when we speak about that movement of, you know, do I go to confession or, or we we kind of think to ourselves, I need to go to confession. Uh, as we say all this, it's, it's worth just pointing out that that initiative to go to confession, we can think it's us. We can think I'm speaking to myself or telling myself, but it's just worth saying that that's actually the Holy Spirit working within us. Uh, that is God who is initiating, God who's inviting. He's, he's calling us out of darkness into his own wonderful light. So just first that point is that when we feel that that call, the person who's listening uh, to us speak today. Uh, this is providence. God is having them hear this message today. It's the Holy Spirit working. Holy Spirit is inviting the person to come to confession. So just to make that point, and then in terms of confession itself, like, you know, when we sit there, uh, kneel there, and, and we are, you know, I, I like how you're summarizing it. We are both the penitent, but also the prosecutor. And, and why would we do that? And, and we do that because we love. You see, we've forgotten that, you know, love always serves Love does not lie. Love does not spread deception. And, and we go into the confessional, we accept that invitation to repent of our sins, to receive mercy. We go there as an act of love, because when we love someone, we're not going to lie to them. When we love someone, we're, we're comfortable to be transparent. We are who we are, and we know that we can trust the person that we're speaking to because we love them. We, we know that they love us. We speak openly, plainly, 
And so we come, we're not playing games, we're not trying to hide things, we're not trying to be deceptive. We just go before the God that we know loves us, passionately loves us. He sent His Son, uh, God the Son, under, underwent a brutal torture uh, in order to show us by His passion and death that He does, in fact, love us. He manifested that by His resurrection. And we can love Him. We go and we say, here's what I've done. And we speak with openness, with trust, with confidence, because we know that He loves us. And, and our confession, even as, as broken or as incomplete or as shallow as they might initially be as we first come back, that confession alone, the fact that we're, we're there and, and we're doing our best, and we want to confess our sin, the Lord blesses that, abundantly blesses that, because of the act of love that's behind that confession. Even if we're not fully aware of it, like someone might be listening to this and saying, never thought of that. Exactly. Like, this is an act of love that's just being pushed from our hearts by the Holy Spirit, and we go and we accuse ourselves, and by doing this uh, confession, by giving a good confession, we know that this love is going to be reciprocated, that we're going to receive that abundance, mercy, and that, that rebirth of life. I love in our tradition, we speak about a regeneration, right? That's a rebirth that happens in the confessional, and that happens because we responded to love, and we have allowed love himself to serve us. You know, you talk about that invitation that comes to us from the Holy Spirit, Father, that actual grace, and this is something that I was reminded of, you know, why we have that obligation to still go to Mass, even if we are in a state of mortal sin, we're not in a state of grace, we're not able to receive Holy Communion, because the obligation to attend Mass is to also continue, you know, one of the benefits of that is to continue to receive that grace that would prompt us to go be reconciled and brought back into Communion. And I've shared on the show before about a time where, just through a a weird set of circumstances. I was in a state of mortal sin. I could not receive Holy Communion, and I was not able to get to the confessional for about a week and a half, two weeks. But I went to Mass several times, and each time when it came time for Holy Communion, grace was working on my heart as if to say, Adam, I want you to be back with me. We can't be in communion yet because you have to receive my mercy in the sacrament, but I want you back. And uh, what a great thing that is. So, you know, if, if you're, you're saying to yourself, what's the point? The, the point is receive that grace. Now, Father, we could talk also about uh, those of us who might be tempted to say, well, listen, you know, I, I don't commit mortal sin maybe like once or twice a year, and I go to confession when that happens, but, you know, I'm, I'm following the commandments. Uh, you know, do, do I really need to be worried about all of this? And, and it makes me think of the rich young man who said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus says, well, follow the commandments. And he says, all right, well, I got that done. Check. And he says, all right, now go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and come and follow me. And that's, you know, I'm not saying, listeners, you need to go and sell your car and your house and your couch and your dishes and your TV and all of that. What I'm saying is we all have that calling to be ready to freely surrender to our Lord everything we have, because he freely offers grace and he freely offers mercy, but he's not going to force it upon us. And if we don't choose to freely give up all that we are to him, then we're pretty much closing the door on that grace, aren't we, Father? Yes, absolutely, and, and Adam, I'm, I'm so grateful for uh, the many points you've made, and, and I just want to highlight that that first one as well. That you know that you know if someone's unable to receive communion, uh, they might be in mortal sin, maybe they're divorced and remarried, uh, whatever it might be, whatever situation they find themselves in, and you know, and, and they can't receive holy communion. 
Um, the idea that, well, because I can't receive Holy Communion, therefore I won't go to Mass. I, I'm glad that we're addressing that, because the Mass itself, to be able to participate in the sacrifice of the Lord, is powerful. And, and as you described, actual grace is just flooded into our hearts. And, and the actual grace, that's, that's the impetus that we need in order to eventually repent of our sins, to get out of that mortal sin. And so, you know, the person who's in mortal sin and says, I'm not going to go to Mass anymore, and perhaps they're continuing to re- commit these these sins that have them in uh, in, in this uh, grave state. You know, it becomes harder and harder. The, the heart becomes, you know, uh, more and more difficult uh, for for the spirit to work. So yeah, I tell people it's like, if you find yourself in mortal sin, get to confession. And someone has has been stuck in sin or or not able to receive holy communion for whatever reason, like no, make sure you get the mass because all those graces are being given. And then the further point you're making, Adam, which is that grace comes in, and grace is active. It's the life of God within us. <laughs> you know, the, the, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, right? And, and once the Spirit and, and the Father and the Son take residence within us, uh, you know, they want to do the work of their kingdom. So all of a sudden, like, all these things that the Spirit wants to do with us, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they want to do within us. And, and if we say yes and we let you know, God work, then great things happen, miraculous things happen, virtuous things happen, selfless things happen, uh, the gospel happens, right? So, so I think that by receiving the grace of God and just giving that generous yes, and and, and kind of experiencing that that amazement, that that shock that you know, last week we spoke about Padre Pio. He said, "You know, I stand as a witness, you know, in amazement at what God does through me." This is Padre Pio saying this. I think for each of us that. When we live the life of grace and we allow grace to work, we ourselves can sometimes be shocked, saying, wow, I never thought I'd be able to forgive that person. I, I, I never thought that I could go the extra mile in that way for this neighbor. I, I never thought I could do this. And yet all of a sudden, grace is doing all these powerful things to us, and we ourselves stand as a witness in wonder and awe. <laughs> like, this is amazing. Like, as we see God working in us and through us. Well, I, I love that you use that word witness because that's actually where I'd like to wrap up today. And this is perhaps an encouragement for those of you out there that are saying, you know, I, I want to receive God's mercy. I want to receive his forgiveness, but I really don't want to go to a priest. And why do I need to go to a priest? Because this is between me and God. And, and, and I don't want to have to tell these things to a priest because he's going to look at me funny. He's going to judge me. Now, first off, don't fall into that trap because he's acting in the person of Christ. So when you go to the confessional, you know, you are going to God through the priest. And Father's not going to tell anyone. He's taken very solemn vows. And there, it, it's a very serious matter. And we've seen that through the life of the church. Many, many priests who have been willing to endure great affliction and great punishment to prevent violation of the seal of confession. They say, you know, bring it on me because I'm not violating that seal. But when we talk about it's just between me and God, you know, Father, I've heard it said that the difference between the souls in heaven at the last judgment on the last day and the souls that are destined for hell could be described as this. On the, on the last day when we have the general judgment, our sins are going to be read aloud for all of creation gathered before the throne. And the souls in heaven will be saying, you know what? Yes, I did all of those things. But praise God, because no matter how bad those things were, 
his mercy and his grace was even greater. So if if I can do all that and he can still bring me in, how great is God? Whereas the soul destined for hell says, please don't talk about that. I'm ashamed. I don't want to hear it. Don't mention that. Don't bring it up. I, I want to hide from it. And because they want to hide from it, they're not, they've never been willing to address it in this earthly life. They're not going to receive that grace. They're going to, as we've said, close the door to God's forgiveness. And so I, I guess the question is, Father, you know, how foolish is it to think that we can hide from our own sin? I mean, eventually we're going to have to deal with it. And once we die, our choice in the matter is out of our hands. Yes, yes. And, and you know, regrettably, Adam, there are a lot of people who choose to live under the yoke of guilt and shame uh, from sin, but we don't have to live that way. <laughs> the Lord Jesus has come in order to free us, that, that we can confess our sins. Uh, we have you know, uh, the ability to go and receive the mercy of God. And, and we receive his mercy, you know, those sins have no power over us. You know, the Lord Jesus himself says, you know, uh, you know, he describes the accounts in the desert during, during the time of, of purification as God's people were on their way back to the Promised Land. He says, you know, the, when those seraphim snakes were, were biting people and they took one of them and they lifted it up, he said everyone, everyone who looked at the seraphim snake was healed. You know, in the same way, like the Lord Jesus became sin, he lifted sin up on the cross, and to those of us who look at that sin, they're crucified and confess our sins, like we are freed, we're healed. So we can confess our sins, and if our sins are repeated, someone here in this life knows about them and they use them against us, or on the, the final judgment, you know, the general judgment, when they're read aloud, we know that those sins never defined us. Those sins have no power over us anymore. Those sins are not who we are. We have been freed from them, and that can happen by going and making a good confession and allowing the Lord Jesus to give us his mercy. Father, I can think of no better way to end our time together this morning than by offering a prayer for those souls that the Holy Spirit is speaking to through these humble vessels, you and I. I mean, I I feel just very humbled to know that God's using us to maybe bring someone back to him because, friends, Adam Wright and Father Kirby, we have a lot of words to share, but ultimately they are nothing compared to God's grace. So, Father, you're a priest. You have you have efficacious blessing here. I'm going to turn it over to you and ask, could we pray for those souls that are being prompted to come back and to go to our Lord in this great sacrament of mercy? Absolutely. Let, let us pray. Heavenly Father, you sent us your Son to save us from sin and death. You see constantly to Seek out the one who is lost. You come to us. You call to us. We ask that those who are far from the fold, those who are that one who's been lost, that you today continue to pour out your grace into their hearts and that you allow them to say yes, to bring them home, that they might know of your love and mercy. Father, we ask this as we ask all good things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, Father Kirby, once again, thank you for being with us this morning, friends. We are going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven. Don't go anywhere. Are you enjoying this podcast? Well, if you are, did you know that Covenant Network offers great programming 24 hours a day on 43 stations in five states, plus streaming online? You can find our schedule, your local station, or listen online at www.ourcatholicradio.org. That's O-U-R catholicradio.org. This week on the Daily Dose of Encouragement, we are tackling the problem of unforgiveness. And here to continue 
with our encouragement is Patty Schneier. All right, we're talking about unforgiveness. Yesterday we just talked about how unforgiveness is the biggest obstacle in the spiritual life. Today I want to talk about ways we coat it. It's so funny. We don't like to call it unforgiveness, but we often say, well, yeah, I can hold a grudge. You know, sometimes I have a grudge against a person. So we have to name things for what they are. So if you're holding a grudge, holding a grudge is nothing more than unforgiveness. It's just another way of saying it. And what you're doing when you hold a grudge or what I'm doing when I'm holding a grudge is in effect, we're keeping track of another person's faults. And it's almost like you have a mental list maybe of grievances and you can name all the things that this person has done that are wrong an outright wrong, hurtful, rude, maybe inexcusable. And you know your list of, well, they did this and this and this and this and this. You've got your list of all the things that they did. Well, forgiveness is when you tear up that list of grievances in your heart and in your mind. Now, think about this because If you're like me, sometimes when I go to confession, I actually, in my preparation, I will write down my sins. I will write them down. I'll have them on a piece of paper. I may bring it with me to the confessional. And I actually love that after going to confession, what I physically do is I rip up that list, right? Because my sins are gone. And I love that action, that physical knowing that my sins are gone and I rip up that list. God has just forgiven me of all of my sins and grievances, and I get to rip up my list. Shouldn't I rip up the list that I'm keeping for someone else in my heart? That's what forgiveness is. You tear up that list of grievances against that person. So stop keeping track of their faults and think about all the people that you have hurt. Many times we hurt people without knowing it, but wouldn't you want that person to tear up that list about you? So today, if you have to, if there's someone who has wronged you, maybe you've been keeping track of all their faults. Okay, write them down and then tear them up and say, I no longer have the right to keep a list of grievances about this person. That's the first step, perhaps, in forgiving that person and letting it go. I think that often we default towards airing our grievances, but I love that you're challenging us today to let go of our grievances. Patty, this is a great encouragement for us on this Tuesday. Quick reminder for you before we sign off this morning that this coming Friday is the first Friday of August, and so we are invited and, dare I say, called to make our first Friday acts of devotion. And what are those specifically? Well, for first Friday, we are called to go to Mass. We are asked to go to Mass to receive Holy Communion and to pray in honor of the Sacred Heart of our Lord or in reparation for sins against the Sacred Heart of our Lord. And Very easy to do, very simple thing to do, and yet do we do it? And again, going back to that whole idea today of simple things with frequency. You know, not one great thing one time, but many little things each and every day. On first Saturday, we also devote our attention to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and the blasphemies against her Immaculate Heart. And she asked us through the apparition to the children at Fatima to take the first Saturday of the month and pray through her intercession to go to Mass, to receive Holy Communion, to go to confession, to pray the rosary and to meditate for 15 minutes upon the mysteries of the rosary. And remember, you can't go to communion if you're in a state of mortal sin. So if that's the case, don't be afraid. Just go to confession, as Father Kirby and I were talking about earlier today. 
Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, also, uh, one last point here before we sign off. We were talking about the Corporal Works of Mercy in the Catequiz earlier, and I'd just like to remind you that when we talk about visiting the imprisoned, let's not just think of those in prison, but those who maybe can't leave their homes, the homebound, or they're in a nursing home, and they, they cannot leave, and they rely on you coming to them to visit them. Just a thought. For Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. You've been listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Pray your rosary today.